You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. As well, these podcasts can be heard at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, which are the sole publishers of Steiner to English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. This is a reading of Collected Works, Volume 317, by Rudolf Steiner, entitled Education for Special Needs, the Curative Education Course. Twelve lectures translated by Anna Moise. This is Lecture 11, given in Dornach on the 6th of July, 1924. Let us now discuss the cases which we did not talk about yesterday. There was a younger girl there, ten years old, who suffered from loss of memory. She is only in class two at school. She has growths in the nasopharynx, and this is connected with excessive etheric proliferation in the bladder region, which has its mirror image in the head. It was actually possible to deduce the physical origin of the child's special needs. She is ten years old, at a stage of which I am always saying that it is particularly important how the teacher relates to such a child. The girl has, of course, failed to relate to all the antecedents that lead to this moment in time. The inflammatory changes near to the bladder region, with their mirror image in the upper organism, show very clearly that the ether body is not settling in the organism in the right way, for it is unable to work properly together with the astral body. Now, you must, of course, always consider that when anything of this kind comes to be reflected in the soul organism, it will have its basis in the more subtle organization, and that the coarser organization will not get us on the trail, as it were. It is, of course, easier to spot things in the upper organization than in the lower organization. But when the ether body of such a child cannot function properly because of a defect in the astral body, and anything she takes in does not penetrate into the organization, If we want to help such a child, it will be a matter of, as far as possible, increasing the effect of anything that should make an impression on the child, of working with powerful impressions for such a child. You have to consider that memory depends on the proper organization of physical body and ether body. The astral body and the eye do not take impressions retained in memory with them. Dreams, too will only come when astral body and eye are partly within the physical and ether body. As far as the eye and the astral organization are concerned, everything has really been forgotten from going to sleep to waking up. It stays in whatever remains in the bed. Now, if this is not properly organized, it will not take in the residues, the leftover impressions. And in such a case, It will be a matter of causing powerful impressions initially and so make the upper organization really active in the lower one, that is, the eye and the astral body in the ether body and physical body. Now, I do not know if attempts have already been made to see if she remembers simple folk songs, bracket Dr. Ilse Knauer. That is easier for her, close bracket Steiner again. Try, then, to work on the basis of this existing power to retain impressions, for instance, directing attention to short poems where a particular element recurs 
always after three lines, so that the child gets a strong impression of rhythm, and the time will then come when you can also offer the child impressions that are not rhythmic. One would not assume that the time in which something can be achieved will be less than three or four years, until she reaches sexual maturity. If one works along these lines up to that time, above all where rhythmic impressions can take effect, and the rest is developed on this basis, something can be achieved through education. We have already established that she is to have Berberus vulgaris 10% compresses and eurythmy therapy with L-M-S-U. See plate 13. As you can see, this is also based on the view that the configuring principle, nestling close, enters into the astral body's mobility, coming to meet the M. The M, as I said, puts the whole organism into the exhalation, so that astral and etheric organization meet through this. The S is there to induce powerful, lively activity in the astral body, but in such a way that it stays in control, and this is what the U is for. These things come to mind when the child is before one. Here we bring them to mind again. The reason for the Berberus vulgaris compresses is that we need to neutralize the causes of inflammation, and that can be done in this way. We then had a boy of 16, a kleptomaniac, exactly like the kleptomaniac boy who was presented here. That presentation was the best possible example for you. He needs to be treated in exactly the same typical way. You'll just have to see if the impressions you offer to him can connect with one thing or another. Various things may be used depending on the kind of upbringing and education these children have had. Now, there is the child from Stuttgart, really a fidgety child. He is sleepy, retarded. He is still young, has not learned to talk, is retarded in everything that a child needs to be trained in during the first period of life. So, it is very easy to understand where the problem lies. He did not get the imitation principle in his grasp did not latch on to the imitating. In other words, he cannot set his organs in motion from eye and astral body. He is an extraordinarily lovable child, but finds it extraordinarily difficult to overcome his physical body's longing to be at rest. Treatment will have to consist in, first of all, doing speech eurythmy. This will make him progress. I can only tell you the ideal thing to do, Doing proper speech arrhythmy, one can initially reach a point where he is stimulated in his astral body, with the rhythm then taking hold of the ether body. You get the child to repeat rhythmic sentences after you, bracket quoting a line from Schiller's title The Diver, close bracket. You have to go through it slowly with the child, slowly forward and back. I am deliberately changing, in quotes, boiling, to, in quotes, surging, because it serves our therapeutic purpose. Always go slowly like this, forward and back. And perhaps one also does this later with the following sequence of sounds. The child must be woken up inwardly in this way by astonishing him. Let him say A, then E, I, then back. I, E, A, A, E, I, 
I, E, A, and so on. In this way you gradually wake him up, and he will then, after all, repeat using the principle of imitation. You merely have to take the child on his own and see to it that everything you do with him involves imitation, always letting him repeat things after you, after a short interval. Medical treatment would consist in providing something that drives apart, something that drives the substantiality of the organism to the periphery, something centrifugal, always the pituitary gland, but the child is not really such that you have to use hypophysis, pituitary gland, the way you do when you are dealing with rickets in children, where one wants to influence the going apart using pituitary gland but also the opposite principle, the centripetal movement. Together with pituitary gland, this has the tendency to build up the human organism from the substantial aspect, using either carbovegetabilis or carboanimalis. It would be a matter of using carboanimalis and alternating it so that you have the form principle in carboanimalis and then the organizational principle which lets the organism shoot into growth, using hypophysis cerebri for this. When you start such a center of education, the main thing is, of course, that those involved observe everything they undertake. It definitely is a matter of running the center with a certain inner power of trust. You see, in the case of this child, the worst thing will not be the child, You'll soon see him progress. But the worst thing in such a case are the parents, the mother, who is without doubt thinking that one will quickly work wonders. I've actually heard that his mother wants to come along with the child. Bracket, interjection, only to take him there. Close bracket, Steiner again. Well, that is certainly a relief if one does not have the mother there as well. But it does in such a case need a certain toughness to stand up to the understandable but sometimes terribly senseless demands made by parents who do not know and also cannot know what needs to be done with such a child. Now, you know, it is quite good with such a child if you also take him physically into alternating situations like those indicated by A-E-I, I-E-A, and so on. And you can bring this about very well by alternately and for a relatively brief period, putting him in moderately warm water and then putting him under a moderate shower. With this you take into liveliness the element which wants to come into liveliness. This particular measure will in fact always prove useful when an abnormality takes the form of sluggishness, but you should not overdo it. On the other hand, do not let it worry you if the children do get a bit excited as soon as you have started such a course of treatment, that will pass. The reaction will come, and the condition gradually rights itself. Now, we must still talk about Kurt H. Kurt H. sees everything in color. This is the boy who does not have any money. I see him before me now. The basic phenomenon with this boy is that he does not really know how to reach the outside world. He is stuck in himself. I'll have to be quite physical to explain the phenomenon to you. He cannot reach the outside world, and because of that he is all the time hitting against his astral body with his eye organization from inside. 
which causes an inner clumsiness, or rather an inner slovenliness. Hand in hand with this striking against his astral body, he has developed a subtle sensitivity, and he therefore has something noble about him. That is connected with him seeing things in color. He sees them because he is able to live in his own astral body when awake. The situation is that he can only be taught if we see the things which will evolve more and more, a certain slight longing for ideals, but then again a sudden withdrawal, a way of not managing to deal with the world. Everything will depend, particularly in the case of this boy, who can certainly be taught using the Waldorf method, on your developing a natural trust in him. There is hardly anything else you can do with this boy. He has the peculiarity of writing like this. See plate 14, the left side. You now pay careful attention to seeing that the boy develops his handwriting into one that is finely modeled, and you will see that he appears completely changed in his inner constitution. If there is any tendency to show off, try immediately to find a way of reducing it to an absurdity, relying on the trust he has in you. Yesterday I spoke of the albinos. I went so far as to say that we need to find the cosmic impulse that may play a role there. In the first place, let us ask the expert on such cosmic aspects if she has noticed anything unusual in these or other horoscopes, something albinos would have in common. Bracket. Addressing Elizabeth Freda. Close bracket. Did you find that Uranus and Neptune stood out especially amongst the outer planets? Bracket, Dr. Elizabeth Freda. Yes, there are many aspects. Apart from that, I could not say anything about the horoscopes. Close bracket, Steiner again. I am specifically asking you, because you often think about horoscopes and have no doubt had such things in mind on many occasions. For the time being, I have just these two from you. It is a new field, and it will be best to use a down-to-earth approach in this. There are many other things to be considered, but in the first place we have to consider also the following. Take the human being. Looking at the human being with regard to the differentiation which organizes the whole of our essential nature, more on the etheric principle, we differentiate the human being into physical body, etheric body, the sentient body, which we connect with the sentient soul, the rational soul, called the kineticon, energy of motion principle, the spiritual soul, and then we come to spirit self, life spirit and spirit man. Now you see, when we look at these elements of human nature, they will in the first place turn out to be something that has to be considered in relative independence and which makes up the human being. In reality, however, every human being is made up in a different way. One has a bit more energy in the ether body and less in the physical body. Another has a bit more energy in the spiritual soul and so on. It all goes together. And within it all you have a human being in his real individual nature, which goes through repeated lives on earth. And the human being must have individual ways of regulating it all using the principle of freedom. Anything coming from the cosmos does so in a way where the most powerful sun influence, which affects human beings greatly, relates to the physical aspect. 
The most powerful moon influences relate to the etheric body, those of Mercury to the sentient body, those of Venus to the sentient soul. The most powerful Mars influences relate to the rational soul. Jupiter influences to the spiritual soul, Saturn to the spirit self. Things which have not yet developed in human beings come into play in Uranus and Neptune. These are, of course, the vagabonds that have joined our planetary system at a later time. And we look to them for the planetary influences, which under normal conditions do not have much of an influence on the planetary positions at birth. And there's a list. Spirit man, Neptune. Life spirit, Uranus. Spirit self, Saturn. Spiritual soul, Jupiter. Rational soul, Mars. Sentient soul, Venus. Sentient body, Mercury. Ether body, Moon. Physical body, Sun. You know from other anthroposophical lectures how powerful the Moon influence is which comes in via the human ether body. It is, of course, connected with the whole principle of heredity. It imprints all kinds of powers from the parents in this model of the physical body. This moon influence really determines the whole direction taken from the earliest time of embryonic development. Consider that the planetary positions for a human being may be such that this impulse coming from the moon is as powerful as possible, or at least sufficiently powerful, so that the individual brings something with him through heredity that pulls him down into the metabolic organization. On the other hand, it may be that something of the moon influence is torn away, that the element which does not want to have the moon influences, being on the other side, meaning Uranus and Neptune, draws in something which should really be in the moon sphere. There may also be other planetary positions, but these are the planetary positions for these children, and it is indeed true that the horoscope shows us what the situation is. Taking the one horoscope we see here, it may have struck you, you have Uranus with Venus and Mars in this region. You know you need not go beyond this trigon position. Here you have Mars, Venus and Uranus. Taking Mars in the case of this child, who was born in 1909, it is in complete opposition to the moon. Mars, therefore, having Venus and Uranus nearby, is itself in powerful opposition to the moon. Here's the moon, there's Mars, Mars drags along Uranus and Venus nearby. See plate 13, 14, the top. Let me now draw your attention to something else. The moon is at the same time before the scales, and is thus given little stability by the zodiac. It wavers, and is itself a weakling at this hour. Its influence is further reduced because Mars, which drags the Luciferic influence along with it, is in opposition. Let us now look at the horoscope of the younger child. There the situation is this. Venus, Uranus, and Mars are again in one area, close to one another, encompassing only this much of the heavens. They are close together again. On the other we saw them in opposition to the moon, and also that the moon was in the scales. Now in the second horoscope we have Mars, Venus, and Uranus, again close together, just as it was in the earlier one.
As to Mars, we have an almost complete opposition to the moon. The strange thing is, however, that looking for the moon, we find it again in the scales, almost in opposition to Mars, which is dragging Uranus and Venus along with it. Once again in the scales, therefore. It does not have to be like this, but here we also don't have proper birth dates. There the moon is in the scales, and here too. Bracket, Dr. Elizabeth Fleda. The striking thing is that in both the relative positions of Moon and Neptune are the same. Close bracket. Steiner again. That would need to be explained separately. Horoscopes have to be interpreted individually. It is not surprising that these show great similarity, for they are sisters. The opposition is more marked for the older child than the younger one, who is certainly influenced by the older one, which again is not surprising. But here it is a matter of arriving at a really clear picture, which, when interpreted, tells us that Mars, the bearer of iron, makes itself independent of the reproduction principle, the moon. Mars deflects above all the things that come to man through the Venus principle, everything connected with love. It deflects this from its true mission, tearing it away from that true mission, not letting it stay connected with the factors involved in reproduction and then in growth. We therefore see something that should live in the pelvic region and is connected with the powers of growth moving up into the head region and find that, because of this, iron must be lacking in growth, whilst everything connected with the combating of iron, that is, sulfur, must be there in superabundance. We are thus definitely dealing with an extraordinarily powerful preponderance of the will, and must, above all, see to it that the organization of senses and nerves, which is generally unstable, is treated with the greatest delicacy in educating these children. It's all a matter of how you handle it. You have to be very delicate in handling the children's senses and nerves, which means, above all, to try and not use the eyes for reading and the like, but teach everything without looking at things with the eyes, without reading. Get the eyes used-to-color effects that differ only slightly from one another, especially in transitions, letting the colors of the rainbow slowly change one into the other, letting the child follow this with her eyes. These would be measures one might take. As to medical treatment, at the present time I can only say that it will not prove very effective once sexual maturity has been reached. This gives you an important pointer. For one of the children was born in 1909, the other in 1921, and this provides a good opportunity to observe the difference in effects. We will need to bring powerful iron radiations into such a child from the organization of metabolism and limbs. This powerful iron radiation can be achieved by reducing pyrites to dust, letting this seep onto a surface that does not allow much iron radiation to pass through, like a glass plate, though you cannot actually use it in this case. Try, therefore, to use a clean sheet of paper saturated with grease. Thin parchment-type paper would be best, but it must be thin so that it clings to the body. The usual linen or cotton rag-based paper is not so good to use. You would need to spread pine resin or something of that kind on it and let the pyrite's dust settle on this. 
This will make the iron ray inward. You have to put it along the legs and on the shoulder blades, and then try and put a mildly irritant compress, say a cochlearia, on the forehead. If you apply this to the organism at the time of second dentition, when powerful streams and counter-streams are running, you may indeed be able to combat the instability in such a child. So this would be what we can arrive at so far in this situation. But the problem must, of course, be pursued further. Until now the world has done no more with albinos but exhibit them in the, to the public, where they say, quote, I am fat, my hair is white, I don't see things in the daytime, but see better at night, close quote. That is how albinos are exhibited. And not much is known, for modern science does not pay attention to such things. Yet as soon as you arrive at such striking things as those I have presented, it will no doubt be clear that the cosmic influence is very powerful when there is a major irregularity in the way the principles of the human organization relate to one another. I would now ask you to put any questions you wish to ask. Bracket question. The fact that we are now in the situation of asking questions is due to Dr. Lair's going to Dr. Wegman wishing to ask a question on quite other grounds. He did find that the people attending the course were not in the right mood. Close bracket. Steiner again. There is really no reason to discuss this any further and so lose time. The thing is much simpler than that. Dr. Lairs came to tell me that they wanted to do something in the anthroposophical movement that was an absolute first, a mission, a mission that is only beginning and would, above all, involve the discussion of the karmic relationships of those who are undertaking the work and things like that. Bracket, Dr. Lairs, shaking his head. Close bracket. All right, let us stress above all what Lairs said. They think that something really fundamental should be started, and my reply was that it would then, above all, be a matter of really learning the subject matter considered in this course. If people were dissatisfied with this course and wanted to stick to the abstract approach, for instance, to organize a completely new movement, they would be doing something that has grown out of things we have been doing for a long time. That would mean the danger of megalomania. I did, however, say you should ask questions so that the partly justifiable reasons might emerge clearly. The point is that Lairs came to me and said that this fundamentally new approach must spring up in the world, that the Lauenstein itself would have to be at the center of the world. All this is behind it, isn't it? Well, it really is not so bad. Now it will be best we bring forward concrete questions and don't think about the other thing at all. Bracket Albrecht Strohschein put a question as to how the Lauenstein Institute was connected with the fact that Treuper was the first to inaugurate education for children with special needs. Close bracket, Steiner again. What do you mean by saying that this man was the first to work with these children? This suggests something that should not go to extremes. What may be involved in teaching children with special needs, I do not think that this man can have influenced the institutions for children with special needs that, relatively speaking, were established very early in Hanover with some success. The beginnings of teaching children with special needs go much further back. What has always been lacking is exactly the thing which makes it possible 
to look into the essential nature of such children. You won't see the simplest things, my friends, if you don't have anthroposophy for your observations. On the other hand, it is indeed the human being who provides the deepest insights into anthroposophy as such. Just consider Goethe's theory of metamorphosis, how it arose thanks to Goethe, who was an intelligent man. It is completely abstract, like something that has many beginnings, but cannot go beyond how the leaf exists in the flower, how a petal metamorphoses into a stamen, which is a very elementary metamorphosis, and came to a stop in the animals and the human being with timid reference to the metamorphosis of vertebra into bones of the skull. He never went beyond the elementary aspects. I found myself in a state of shock, saying to myself, quote, Did it not occur to Goethe? Close quote. I suffered because of this in the 1880s, quote, that the whole brain is a metamorphosis of a single brain ganglion? Close quote. I was able to see in the spirit that he had realized this, and only then did I see how he restrained himself from saying what he had realized. When I got to Weimar, I found a comment in a little notebook written in pencil, quote, The brain is a transformed main ganglion. Close quote. This was only published in the 1890s, thanks to my efforts. We may say that a completely new writer made his debut in the 1890s. Goethe became the most fruitful writer, so to speak, at the end of the 19th century. Just think what a long road it has been from Goethe's theory of metamorphosis to the theory of metamorphosis that arises when you have here a normal one-year-old child metamorphosed into the giant embryo you saw here a few days ago. That is the retardant metamorphosis, retaining the embryonic state. You will gain this insight, my friends, if you do the meditation which I gave you yesterday over and over again. I said, quote, here is a circle, here a point, there the circle is point, there the point is circle, close quote, and so on. See plate 14. Let the point slip into the circle again and again in your meditation. Expand into the circle. And as you do so, sense how the organization of limbs and metabolism arises from the head organization. Take it so far that you are sentient of the head as you say to yourself, quote, The point is point. The circle is circle. Close quote. Sense how you glide down from the head to the metabolic system when you say to yourself, quote, The point is circle. The circle is point. Close quote, which is the opposite. You will then have the fully developed theory of metamorphosis and you will be able to say to yourself, quote, it is only with the whole way of thinking which anthroposophy evokes that we can get a view of the children's need for special care. Close quote. This is what we have tried to do in these lectures. If one wants to have an influence, it is not good to think of karma by saying, quote, There's an angel. It has made Strohschein stand there. The other angel has put Pickert there. Another one, Luffler. Then an angel has also put the obstreperous Dr. Knauer on that chair, a particularly kind angel, then brought in Miss Becker. We feel we have been brought together by five angels. Close quote. That is not at all the right view of karma. 
if one wants to work to good effect. The right view is that one looks for the enthusiasm impulses that focus on karma as it continues to act. There you may ask, quote, which are the antecedents in yena that we may take up, that we may join in with, close quote. For when you move into a furnished house, you won't throw out all the furniture, but in some cases where it is possible, and here it is possible, you will ask yourself, quote, how does one make good use of what is there already? Quote. And so it may simply be a matter of asking yourselves, quote, how do we use what is there already? Quote. Now you know that in Jena we have the notable story of Abbot Hildebrandt, who, from quite similar character traits in his youth, religious, spiritual tendencies, but these were methodically conceived in life, went to Rome and became Pope Gregory VII, and from Rome had a powerful influence on the way things were then organized in Europe. A powerful Roman impulse went out from Rome to Europe, the Cluny impulse, metamorphosed into a Roman one. Do study this. The notable thing is that this same individual was compelled to go to Jena in his next life, reappearing as Ernst Haeckel. That is just the way it is when, in the human being, the destructive principles intervene in a regular way in the constructive principles. You therefore have a radiation in Jena that is very clearly in opposition to the Roman stream. You have the impulse to meet there. See plate 14 below. And when Ernst Haeckel spoke in Jena on the occasion of his 60th birthday, initially at the Institute of Zoology, one might gain the impression that the old Hildebrandt stood there. He had just the same way of speaking, spoke just as Hildebrandt had done, in a quiet, somewhat sad voice, always weighing his words like someone who, in spite of having done a lot of speaking, still is not quite capable as yet of, of speaking. Abbot Hildebrandt always presented the mane of the severe Pope, simply the organ of the Church. But the odd thing was that he liked to tell things that made others smile, not a lot, but benevolently. It was really lovely how Hackel entered into a mood at the formal dinner to tell funny stories from his life, between the courses, which made the others relax and smile, and the whole way in which he, then sixty years old, childlike and smiling, was challenging, getting the others confused. I still remember how funny it was when Oscar Hertwig was heavily pregnant with his own speech and could not bring it to birth, for Heckel was still telling his funny stories. I do indeed think that following this, to which I have given a certain esoteric basis, you might achieve something special if you got hold of the speech that Heckel gave at that time on his 60th birthday at the Institute of Zoology. It was not long, but it was personal and somehow extraordinarily objective. Compare this with the speech that Professor Gertner gave, who certainly had a tendency not to accept Heckel as something that had any significance in world history, expressly stating that it was something he would disregard. He said he would always speak with pleasure of Heckel, not as the creator of the title History of Life, but would expressly say, quote, that is something we may disregard. But let us emphasize how many lectures colleague Heckel has given that he has given more lectures than all the rest together. Close quote, which is strange, since it suggests that the others did not give many lectures. 
He said that the whole medical and scientific community in Jena could not match what Hackel had done. It was a battle of the Philistines. It was so funny to watch Hackel's speech hit the mark. If you look at his speech, you find it lively and fresh. Then the scaffold was brought in. Then colleague Gertner came and did the beheading. And the physiologist, who was a Roman Catholic cleric, watched dejectedly, for everyone had to attend. But to see Heckel there, so rejuvenating. The student body had also grown witty on that day. Many of them were about and showed remarkable imagination. Get yourselves the small volume with all the songs that were sung during that day. Quizzical verse on how an Archaeopteryx whetted its beak on a church spire and visualize all that fresh, youthful life. This can be recommended for meditation, and then you'll really be within the way in which Jena was part of cultural development in Europe at that time. To bring matters to a conclusion, I will give my final lecture at 9 o'clock a.m. tomorrow. The end of Lecture 11